Africa Climate Podcast. Hello, I hope that you've been well. Thank you so much for joining us again for this week's episode of the Africa Climate Podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Mbogwa. Now, we are less than a month away from the 27th UN Climate Summit, COP27, taking place in Egypt's coastal city of Sham el-Sheikh. I thought, mm, let's not have a guest today. Instead, I felt the need to share my thoughts on this climate emergency drowning us all. These wise words by the first African woman to win the Nobel Peace Prize and Kenyan environmental activist, the late Wangari Madai, always echo in my heart whenever I think of the realities that we humans have got ourselves into. Quite often people say, can we really protect the environment and at the same time develop? Well, we don't have a choice. We need a balance because we need the environment to be able to survive. Have we as humans lost that balance? Human activities led to roughly 1.1 degrees Celsius of warming between 1850 to 1900. If this trend continues, scientists warn that the global warming will exceed 1.5 degrees Celsius between 2030 and 2052, meaning more severe and extreme weather events. Already, 5 million people die every year. This is because of temperature extremes, as per the Lancet Planetary Health Report. 99%, almost the entire global population, breathes air exceeding the World Health Organization's air quality limits. By 2050, climate change will cause more than 200 million people to migrate, as per the World Bank. In Somalia, more than 1 million people have fled their homes already in search of pasture, water, and food, and nearly 1,500 people are dead due to Pakistani floods. Now, for most of Africa, a 1.5 degree warmer world means either double or even higher warmer temperatures. Already biodiversity laws, cyclones, drought, floods, landslides are sinking communities deeper into poverty. Now, you can imagine what impacts this is having on people's mental health. It is 50 plus years since the world leaders acknowledged environmental issues and placed them at the forefront of international concerns. That was during the 1972 UN Conference on Environment in Sweden. Today, the Russia-Ukraine conflict has plunged Europe into an energy crisis. As a result, coal is making a comeback as Europe, of course, must ensure the industries are powered up and people heated up ahead of winter at a minimal cost. Can you blame them? Development first and environment second, right? What is wrong with us human beings is that so many of us are ignorant about how the environment gets destroyed. So many of us do not make the linkages between our activities and what we do to the environment. The interesting thing we have seen with the climate negotiation as world leaders keep meeting every year and making promises is that trust is eroding as years go by. Egypt's COP27 presidency, His Excellency Sami Shukri, who is also the Egyptian Minister of Foreign Affairs, while holding out hope for progress at COP27, spelled out the importance of the developed world keeping its climate pledges to avoid a crisis of trust in the COP process. 
Among the pledges is one of the biggest push, climate finance. As we all know, adaptation, building back from climate-related loss and damage, and avoiding future warming cannot be done without money, right? Now, you see, in Copenhagen, Denmark, back in 2009, amid intense negotiation and pressure by the developing countries, the former U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton made a bold promise that the United States would help raise $100 billion dollars annually by 2020 to assist developing countries in coping with climate change. How this ended up becoming the flow of climate finance and the responsibility of the entire developed nation to provide $100 billion by 2020 to developed nations, honestly, I don't know. But what I know is that the African Development Bank says on average, Africa alone requires up to $1.6 trillion between 2022 and 2030 to meet its climate pledges. Already, the continent loses between 5% to 15% of its GDP to climate change. Between 2016 and 2019, collectively, African countries received $18.3 billion only in climate finance. Climate finance has been a push and pull for ages, adaptation to and so will loss and damage payments B. Why do developing countries push rich nations for finance? These nations developed using dirty fuels such as coal which has led the world to the warming predicaments we are now in now hence the historical responsibility anchored in the kyoto protocol and the paris agreement so where do we go from now again some wise words from wangari madai we are called to assist the earth to heal her woods and in the process, heal our own. Indeed, to embrace the whole creation in all its diversity, beauty, and wonder. This will happen if we see the need to revive our sense of belonging to a larger family of life, with which we have shared our evolutionary process. Very true. And that wisdom is echoed in the African eco-spiritualism. African eco-spiritualism reckons that the human person is a steward, not a master, of the earth. Something that the world leaders meeting uh, during the 1972 Stockholm Environment Meeting agreed with. Therefore, the earth exists not just as an investment opportunity, but as a trust passed on from previous generations for the current to hold as stewards for the future generations. It gives a perfect examples of communities that lived in harmony with nature. You see, every natural resource was given to man freely by the creator to share with the rest of humans and wild animals. For example, rivers would be left to flow freely without obstruction. One would take what they needed and leave the rest for the neighbors downstream and the wild animals. The soil was the woman. She gives birth to us all, hence jealously guarded. It is from the soil that food emanates. Soil gave life to plants and trees, cleaning our air, breaking winds and storms, enlightening and protecting our coastal shores. The forest where God and our ancestral spirits dwelled was protected. Some forest trees were sacred and are still sacred to date used to offer sacrifice to their deity and required atonement, if cut. 
Our ancestors protected nature using taboos and unwritten rules that ensured no pollution and forced the protection of riparian areas and soil protection from erosion using terraces, land rotation, and agroforestry. Back to us, a modern, highly educated population of the digital age with mechanized operation. What have we done? bred the planet's destruction. And now we are tackling the climate crisis politically and economically. Someone might argue that the population has grown and the demand for food has too. True. But with all the mechanization, education, and technology the current generation has, the world is losing an estimated 14% of the world's food between harvest and retail with 870 million people going hungry. UNEP says this food loss and waste account for 8 to 10% of global greenhouse gas emissions, not to mention the global trade in timber, pulp, and paper products, driving deforestation worldwide. I do recognize the global diplomacy effort to tackle this global challenge. Still, I believe it is time nations have a conversation about how communities lived and should live in harmony with nature. After all, the 1972 Stockholm Conference pointed out that environment grants man his physical nourishment, that is food, air, nutrients, and afford him the opportunity for intellectual, moral, social, and spiritual growth. There exist major platforms to address desertification, pollution, depletion of the ozone layer, biodiversity loss, among many others. But at what point do they emerge? Countries have bylaws supposed to protect the forest, riparian land, environment, water bodies, soil, name it. But the biggest challenge in many countries is the implementation. Indigenous communities daily pushed away from their ancestral homes. They lived in harmony with forest and wild animals, protecting the water, the soil, a place they called home. I wonder, are there too many environmental protocols and laws that the world or nations end up lost in trying to implement? To me, the sustainable goals will remain on paper and unachievable if the environmental degradation continues. It is not about religion or extra money, but about actualizing the set strategies for climate change adaptation, mitigation, biodiversity protection, and pollution. Tackling the climate crisis requires going back to basic, a political will, a systematic change that needs to start from somewhere, that needs to start now. It is time to come out of the boardroom meetings and conferences, put down our feet, and implement these plans and policies protecting our God-given resources. But from the bottom-up approaches, allowing communities to relate culturally and spiritually with nature. These policies have existed in many nations, but a serious behavior change is required among communities and a mind shift among our leaders. Therefore, the solution to tackling the global climate crisis lay in protecting the environment anchored in culture and eco-spiritualism, but not in the boardrooms. That was all I had for you today. As usual, I sincerely appreciate you for joining with me. Trust me, I do. 
please do not forget that we have a YouTube channel now. Yes, I must have mentioned, right? It's the Africa Climate News or just head to our website www.africaclimatenews.com and click to watch our latest. Please do not forget to subscribe, like and share. Also, kindly share this podcast with a friend or colleague. In the meantime, please do take care. I will talk to you soon. Kwaheri for now. My name is Sophie Mbogwa. Africa Climate Podcast.